up, everybody? Great to see you guys. And Pastor Tim, can we welcome all our campuses joining us today? Glad you guys are here, our spring series, Fixer Upper. Hey, it was great to hear from so many fans of the show. Um, if you're new, Fixer Upper is one of those home renovation shows uh, you see on HGTV starring Chip and Joanna Gaines. And they're a husband and wife team from Texas. He's the contractor muscle. She's the creative genius. And together they take these kind of dumpy, dilapidated fixer-uppers and they rehab and renovate and transform them into these beautiful homes, the very elegant design. Now, Chip and Joanna are committed Christians. And I know they've inspired a lot of you. They've kind of helped spark this DIY revolution. You guys know what DIY stands for? Do it yourself. Yeah. And if you're like me, you probably watch shows like Fixer Upper and they make it look easy, right? And you, and you think like, man, that's not so hard, you know? I think I could do that myself. I mean, I'm not a super construction man personally. Uh, I actually have a buddy who is. In fact, uh, he invited my wife Colleen and I over for dinner this spring to their house. And when we arrived, he showed me his latest DIY project. He just put in a coffered ceiling in his living room. You guys know what that is, right? This chunky molding on the ceiling, very impressive. You know, his wife wanted to dress up the living room, so he goes to Home Depot, orders wood, puts up the studs, hungs fasteners, and put these panels in. Just gorgeous, right? And so I'm standing there looking at the ceiling, and I'm like, dude, you did this by yourself? And he's like, yeah. He goes, no big deal. It took me a couple weekends. And I'm like, how did you? He goes, no, I just watched a couple how-to videos online, you know? And I'm like, that's gorgeous. That is beautiful. And I really admire people like that. You know, the ability to like see a vision, then like kind of execute it. Uh, but it also makes me a little insecure uh, <laughs> because I am not that handy, right? It was a little intimidating, uh, you know, but I was inspired. So we're driving home. I say to Colin, I'm like, you know, I bet you would love it if I could do projects like that, you know? And she's like, honey, you have other skills. <laughs> You ever have that moment, all right, kind of? And I'm like, you know, now my man card is in question, and I'm like, you don't think I could figure that out? I, I got a tool belt, okay, you know? And by the way, some of you were like, that is the shiniest tool belt I have ever seen. <laughs> Last week, you called me on it, you know? It's because I take good care of my equipment, people, all right? So I, uh, so I say I, to Kala, it's just like, you don't think I can, you know, be a DIY guy, fix stuff up around our house? And she's like, honey... Seriously, do I need to remind you? She takes out her phone and starts scrolling through the photos, and she's like, like, like the time you fixed our toilet, you know? I'm like, duct tape is a perfectly acceptable fastener. It is a very versatile tool. Or the handle on our bedroom door. She's like, you had one job, you know? You ever have a DIY fail like this, you know? You're like, you want to do it yourself? I'm like, fix the wall outlet? Done, you know? That was easy. I could install the ceiling fan myself, no problem, okay? I'm not paying some, you know, contractor to install our kitchen cabinets. Stupid drawers. You want their legs raised on your table? No problem. I am king of DIY, okay? You can have a lot of fun if you Google DIY fails. Anyway, this series is not so much about, you know, home improvement as it is about life improvement, right? In many ways, life itself is a fixer-upper. We all have parts of our lives that are a little bit breaking down and can use some TLC this spring. Last week I asked you the question, I said, um, what's broken in your world that needs fixing? And the response was overwhelming. These are prayer cards. Over 500 cards at one campus uh, came in, and it was incredible. The responses weren't so much physical um, you know, rehabs, but as more uh, relational repairs. 
uh, things in, in people's personal lives, finances that were breaking down, relationships, some were spiritual, some emotional. Let me give you a few examples. Um, I pulled a couple of these just to, to share anonymously. Somebody said, you know, I pray my husband and I can repair our financial situation. They have finances. Uh, it's bad. Most of our arguments are about money. His loss of work in my job, difficult owners, make things really, really hard. My prayer is God help fix our finances. And so what we're doing is we are holding these prayer requests before the Lord for 52 days. Okay, okay, so turn this, turn this on. I'm gonna, t- here we go! Hey, here we go, people! Thank you. Thank you so much for your support. This is a safety nail gun, okay? Um, again, these, these, you know, all joking aside, these are, these are serious matters, right? Good luck getting back on the topic here, right? Come on, you're like, he's going to nail his hand. Uh, you know, finances, right? We can all relate. Uh, some of them were serious. This person put um, their friend's marriage. They said, you know, last week our friends, um, we just found out they're considering divorce after 14 years, and they have an 8-year-old girl, and we're asking God for wisdom to minister to them. Right, you can hear the, you hear the heart behind that. We all have people in our lives who maybe have some relational breakdowns, and you're sort of like, I want to pray, but I also want to help. We're going to hold that before the Lord. Uh, this, I assume, is a teacher. My burdens for the children of Patterson, uh, broken families, broken schools. Pray I'll have the opportunity to deepen my relationship with the kids and their families. Again, you hear the heart behind that, right? You look around, and there's so much broken in our world. If it's not your personal world, uh, you see things in our schools and our towns and the government. And I just want to thank you, you know, for your vulnerability and your honesty. If you're new to Liquid, you know, like, we try to be, talk about real life. And these are real-life issues, but we believe we serve a real-life God and that he is interested, that he actually wants to get involved in these different burdens. So thank you for trusting our team with your prayer requests. We actually read every single one of these, and we are praying for each of you. And over the next 52 days, as one church, we're going to be asking the Lord. He is our master architect to really teach us, how do we rebuild these broken pieces of our world step by step? Because some of the situations, honestly, they're overwhelming, right? Like if your family is knee-deep in debt, like where do you begin digging out? If your family is, you know, breaking down relationally or, or you know, uh, you're a new widow, you know, where, where's the blueprint for rebuilding your world? There's no human blueprint for life renovation, but there's a divine one. God gives us his word, the Bible, specifically the book of Nehemiah. Uh, we in this series are looking at the Old Testament book of Nehemiah to discover God's blueprint for rebuilding your world in 52 days. And if you're just joining us, I can catch you up real quick. Nehemiah is not a superhero. He's not a king. He's just an ordinary, average, everyday guy who's going about his business one day when he hears some disturbing news. Uh, The wall of Jerusalem, we read, is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. So Jerusalem was the city of God. It was surrounded by a wall, uh, probably taller than this, but it was in rubble. It was broken down. Why? Because we learned that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians, they sacked Jerusalem in 586 BC. They burned it to the ground. They destroyed their homes, and the wall had been broken for 140 years at this point. Why is that devastating news? Because it means the people are defenseless. They're vulnerable to attack. The enemies can pour in. And when Nehemiah hears this news, it kind of hits him emotionally. In verse 4, it says, When I heard these things, I sat down and what? Wept. So Jerusalem's broken, and it breaks his heart. Last week, Nehemiah's response taught us the foundational step in rebuilding a broken world. The question is, 
Who does God use to change the world? God uses leaders who will sit down to cry, who are willing to face reality firmly in the face, open their heart, and actually let the pain in. You know, I asked some of you to make this global. You're like, well, I didn't really have a personal problem, but what breaks your heart in our world? And the responses were so interesting. People said, you know, human trafficking, right? Sexual slavery, I want to see that eradicated. Uh, child abuse, uh, racial injustice, the racial tensions. And what we acknowledge is that sometimes your biggest burden is the doorway to your biggest blessing. In other words, if you, you, you want to change the world, sometimes you see the misery of other people and it becomes a source of ministry in their lives. If you want to change the world, millennials, I dare you to pray that prayer for 52 days. God, break my heart with what breaks yours. Nehemiah sat down to cry and then he took the next step. He knelt down to pray. The scripture says, for some days, Nehemiah said, I mourned, I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And this is so important, right? Because, you know, as a guy, I like to, I see something broken, like walk right in, try to fix it, wallpaper over it, and you never get to the root issue. But before Nehemiah tries to shiplap anything, he takes time to bring his burden and pray before the Lord. It's actually four months of prayer before he even swings a hammer. He says, God, you got to do something about this. If you don't intervene with your strength, we have no chance. And so he prayed this very heartfelt prayer of confession, saying, God, come into the, the mess. And we learn that the strongest leaders are praying leaders because you plus God equals a majority every single time. And so that's why filling out these cards, guys, is such a critical first step, right? It's confessing reality. It's saying, you know what? I'm going to take my burden and I'm going to place it before the Lord because if this is going to get rebuilt with the integrity to last, God's got to be in it. It's got to be his strength, not my own. Guys, this is important. Life is not a do-it-yourself project. You were not designed by God to do it yourself. As a man or woman saved by Christ, that means you have full access to the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. And your Heavenly Father says, I want to pour out my power on your life, but you've got to ask for my help. You've got to seek my presence. You've got to bring the burden before me. Again, somebody said, again, it's just so honest. Thank you for this. Somebody said, uh, I'm obese and addicted to food. I can't control my eating. At this point, I need supernatural strength to get healthy. Pray for me. That's a real-life issue. That's acknowledging that, yeah, there's the physical part of it, but then there's the spiritual side too. Uh, pray for my son who's going through a divorce. And for me, feeling lost without my husband. Somebody rebuilding her life as well. Um, we are uh, well, rebuilding my self-confidence and career after I had to quit my job to move to the U.S., with my husband. I'm starting from scratch again. This is a moment not to just get your resume ready, but to get down on your knees and invite Lord, the Lord to come and give you that supernatural guidance to rebuild your world. We're going to bring these requests before God for 52 days. That's how long it took Nehemiah to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem with the power of God behind him, with God's hand on top of his. He actually performed a miracle. He rebuilt the broken walls of a whole city in 52 days. Something that should have taken years, even decades, he did in less than two months. Guys, that's what happens when you have the supernatural strength of God behind you, amen? So know this, we are praying with you this spring, and I want to thank you. Thank you for praying alongside me. Uh, last week, I shared with you my burden, right? My prayer is, Lord, complete Parsippany. I want to see our, our, our uh, broadcast campus completed. 
Uh, I showed you the auditorium walls are up. The kids' rooms are carpeted and painted. We have about two or three months left of literal construction uh, in Morris County. But the reality is, it's like, you know what? The Holy Spirit doesn't show up. This ain't happening. Because we got inspections. We got to have the finances to finish construction. So I'm like, Lord, complete parsippany. I ask, would you pray with me, your pastor, for 52 days? And I want to thank you for that. Because we have now over 1,000 people who are praying daily to complete the broadcast campus. Can we thank God for that? We want this whole church, our whole church, to have this victory. Because we know, guys, it's not about a building. It's about right building people up. Thousands of people will be saved. They will be baptized because of the ministry that flows out of this place. So thank you for praying daily. Some people were like, tell me specifics, and what can I pray for? Pray every day for our contractor, uh, Charlie Bouts and his team. He is a gift to our church. They're doing an incredible job. Pray for protection. Pray for uh, favor with the town. We've had incredible favor. Pray that we pass the dozens of inspections that are necessary before we actually move in. Just keep placing it before God. That's the idea here. We're taking these and putting it before God, and we say, you know what? When we get in, we are going to celebrate as one church, and guess who's going to get the credit? Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, today, I want to, yeah, give, give a hand. Praise God for that, right? Don't be afraid. It's okay. It's awesome. It's exciting. Now, today, I want to get super practical. Uh, this is my favorite message in the whole series because it's all about standing up to take action. After Nehemiah sits down to cry, after he kneels down to pray, he stands up to act in chapter 2. What we're going to find is leaders who change the world act boldly. And this is going to be super practical, especially if you're a man or woman of action. So if you want to open your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to see what he does. And this is going to encourage some of you who are like, I'm not a world changer, Tim. You know, I'm not like a take action kind of guy or gal. What can I do? Last week, I left out one little detail that's going to change your perspective on the whole story. I never read to you the last verse of chapter 1. I intentionally left that out where Nehemiah tells us what he does for a living. Because some people say, well, it's a book of the Bible. Was Nehemiah a king? No. Prophet? No. Priest? No. Last verse of chapter 1, where Nehemiah tells us who he is and what he does for a living. Nehemiah 1.11 says this, I was cup bearer to the king. Now, that means he serves a king. Who is this king? Remember, this is the king of Persia. This is Artaxerxes. This is modern-day Iran. And he was the cupbearer to the king. You guys know what a cupbearer does? Every day, he literally brings the king his cup of wine. But before the king downs it, Nehemiah has to drink it in case it's poisoned. So his job is to die instead of the king. In other words, he's nobody. He's a peon. He, he's the water boy. That's what cupbearer is. He's expendable. I'm not fooling. Nehemiah was a glorified butler. He had no power. He had no prestige. His job was to bring the king a drink. Question. So who does God use to change the world? Answer, not the superstar. God specializes in using average, ordinary people. Humble people who have a heart to help. So if you were the star athlete in college or you were voted most likely to succeed, you're the head cheerleader, I got news. God can still use you, okay? <laughs> it's just that he loves to use peons to change the world because Nehemiah had this heart. He saw the wall. He's a thousand miles over here in Persia. Jerusalem's over here, but he looked at it. It hit him. He cried. He wept. He cared. He said, somebody's got to do something about it. And if the contractors won't do it, the cupbearer will. 
He didn't have a position of power, but he had a powerful passion. And I want that to encourage you today. If you're taking notes, the first lesson we learn is that to rebuild your broken world, you don't have to be the best. You just have to care the most. Can you say that with me? You don't have to be the best. You just have to care what? The most. You don't have to be the person who everybody thinks, oh, she's the superstar God's going to use. God loves to use ordinary little cupbearers who just happen to care more than anyone else and say, you know what? Someone's got to do something about it. Might as well be me. Now, let's have an honest moment. How many of you would be honest and you'd say, man, Tim, I don't, I don't feel like a world changer, okay? Like, I'm not take charge, strong lead. I don't have influence. How's God going to use little old me? Let me tell you. That is the way that I felt when we first started this church 10 years ago. I was voted least likely to be a pastor, <laughs> okay? I'm serious. I grew up in church. I stopped going in college because it was boring as sin. I'll just be honest with you, all right? I never graduated from seminary. I didn't have traditional training. But as I got older, I was brokenhearted that there seemed to be no place for 20-somethings to develop their faith in Christ. And I had a passion to reach the next generation. See, although I gave up on church, I never gave up on God. And I had this, this deep passion to bring God's word to life for 20-somethings. For and when I first went into ministry, people said, Tim, pff, you will never reach 20-somethings. Uh, they're all flaky. They don't care. They're noncommittal. This is the Northeast. Nobody goes to church. You're too young. Look at the hair. It's crazy. But listen, true. An older pastor named Peter Pendel believed in me. He was a senior pastor of the church that Colleen and I attended after we got married, and he gave me a chance. I was not the brightest. I was not the best. I just cared the most. And he said, would you teach a Sunday school class for 20-somethings? And just to show you God's sense of humor and that I'm not the brightest, you know what my answer was? Well, it depends. How early do we have to show up? That was my answer. That's how our church started, okay? God doesn't use the best. It's who he cares the most. And this church started with a dozen 20-somethings drinking stale coffee in a moldy church basement. When I gave my first sermon, it was two hours and ten minutes long. I preached people into the kingdom and out of it by the end of the message, okay? Guys, that's over a decade ago, right? And here we are today, right? Thousands of people, six thriving campuses. We had this burning vision to saturate the state of New Jersey with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do I tell you this? I am living proof. If God can use an ordinary idiot like me, think what he can do through you. You don't have, Pastor Peon, thank you for that. I appreciate that. See me after service. You don't, <laughs> that's good. You don't, you don't <laughs> catch me outside, I'll see you there. You don't have to, <laughs> this is some service. You don't have to be the best. You just have to care the most. Nehemiah is a little cupbearer, but he cares enough to take action. What action does he take? Let's read. Nehemiah 2 verse 1, he says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. In other words, I'm just doing my job. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king said to me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. So Nehemiah is not powerful, but he's smart, right? He's like, I'm in the presence of somebody powerful. And he wears his heart on his sleeve. He lets his feelings show. He's sad. And the king's like, you know, what's wrong with you? Why the long face? Why are you so sad, Nehemiah? And this is so cool because now watch this. Preparation meets opportunity. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in what? Lies in ruins? And its gates have been destroyed by what? 
fire. And this is so interesting. This is so The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. This is just a flare prayer. This is like a formal prayer, like chapter one. This is just, he's just throwing it up. Lord, help me right now. Give me the words to say. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can what? I can rebuild it. Nehemiah is not powerful, but he's in the presence of somebody who is. And he makes three very big, very bold requests of Artaxerxes. He says, King, my hometown is in ruins. The, the walls are, are broken down and my heart is breaking. And King, if you have a heart, would you let me go rebuild it? What do you do when God gives you a fixer-upper and says, I want you to take action? What does an ordinary change-the-world leader do? Her first action step is to define the vision clearly. Vision is just a fancy word for seeing beyond the broken problem to the preferred future that God has in store. Nia's like, like, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, but I have a vision. Right now, it's a, it's a down and outer. I see it as a fixer-upper. Once I'm done with it, man, we're going to rebuild this wall. It's going to be taller and stronger than ever. In fact, the people are going to be safe. Instead of Israel's enemies laughing at us, they're going to... Okay, we're going to have to cut that one a little bit. Uh, they're going to they're gonna look at this thing and say, get a real contractor in here. But our enemies, when we rebuild this thing, they're going to give credit to Yahweh, our God Almighty. Because even though we're little and we're small, we're going to do something that must be the Holy Spirit. So understand, Nehemiah defines for them, the king, this is what we're going to do. We're going to rebuild the walls. He could have said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to reform the school system. I'm going to get rid of corrupt politicians. I'm going to help the crime uh, there. No, no, no. He's laser focused. He says, I got one task. We're going to rebuild this wall. We're going to die trying. Last week I asked you, what's broken in your world that needs fixing? This week I'm going to ask, what are you going to do about it? Better yet, what is God calling you to do about it? I want you to answer that question very clearly. Don't be general. Don't be vague or specific. Focus it down to something very, very, very specific because a powerful, life-changing vision requires something clear, concise, and actionable. After the service last week, I had a woman come up to me who said, Tim, I know what it is for our family, our finances. We're sick and tired of being in debt. We got college debt. We got car debt, all sorts of stuff. And she says, we're hurting financially, but we have a vision. She used that word. I go, what's your vision? And she says, our vision is to be free of debt by 2020. Except for our house, we want to be completely free of debt. And I said, that's an awesome vision. And she told me how much money like, they owed and everything. But she's like, in the last three years, we have eliminated $69,000 of debt. That's incredible, right? Would you give her a hand? They took Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. They're working through this. That's a strong vision. Debt-free by 2020, our whole family. I mean, a 12-year-old can get behind that, right? It is, it's specific, it's inspiring, it's actionable. What's God calling you to do about this? So don't just write, you know, oh, I want to help the poor. Whenever somebody says like that to me, like, you know, Tim, I have this burden to help the poor, I ask questions. I say, like, which ones? And, and, and I remember one guy said, um, I want to help kids. And I said, okay, poor kids. And I said, where? And he said, uh, in the inner city. I said, okay, well, urban poverty, what kind of kids? And he said, kids without parents. I said, okay, uh, kids living in the inner city uh, who only have one parent. Yeah, mainly fatherless kids. Okay, why? They need mentors in their life. I said, so you want to mentor them academically? And he's like, no, no, I'm not good at academics. But I play sports. Okay, so you want to mentor an inner city kid in an after-school youth basketball league? And he's like, yes. 
I can do that. See, you can't help everybody, but you can help somebody, can't you? What is God calling you to do about this burden? What's the vision, the the preferable picture of the future that God has placed in your mind? This is the secret, guys. Because if you can't define it, you can't do it. You can't do what you can't define. Nehemiah says, King, I want to rebuild the wall. He defines the vision clearly. And this is very powerful, guys. You know, we're a vision-centric church, right? We have a very clear and compelling vision as a church. You see it on the lobby wall of our broadcast campus. The vision of Liquid Church is to, you can say with your eyes closed, saturate our what? Our state with the gospel of who? Jesus Christ, right? That definition drives all our decisions. Why? Because we're like, there's 9 million people in our home state spread across 21 counties, and by God's grace, we're going to have a campus in every county. We have already decided our next campus is going to be in Jersey City. Because once the broadcast campus is completed, we're like, a Hudson County campus is next. Why? Because if we want to reach our state, we have to reach our cities. Amen? Amen. Jersey City is the most diverse city in America. Do you know that? There's no dominant ethnic majority. There's actually 25% black, white, Latino, and Asian. All 25%. That drives us. If you can't define it, you can't do it. And leaders who change the world define their vision clearly. So I'll give you an example. Let's say your burden is um, uh, rebuilding your life after the divorce. Okay, that's, that's a good goal, right? You're starting over. I get that. Don't write a vision statement where it's like, you know, I want to move on with my life. What does that mean? Right? It's not clear. It's not specific. What specifically is God calling you to do next? Here's a specific vision statement. I'm going to take a grief recovery class and do personal counseling for six months before I start dating again. That is clear. That's measurable. That's healthy. That's focused. Here's a... Um, Here's a weak vision. The schools in my town suck. Right? Pray God makes them better. How? What is God calling you to do? Here's a strong vision. I'm going to run for the school board next fall. I'm going to get the signatures this spring. I'm going to start my campaign this summer. And I'm going to run for school board next fall. That is clear. That's compelling. It's action-oriented. I can get behind that. It's a laser-focused goal. See, you can't do, guys, what you cannot define. And Nehemiah shows us that men and women who change their world, they define their vision clearly. That's the first step of action. The second thing that leader does is he makes plans carefully. You've probably heard the old saying, if you fail to plan, you should plan to what? Fail. Nehemiah says, here's what I'm going to do, the vision. Here's how I'm going to do it, the plans. Look at verse 6. This is so cool. Three things. He says, then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, Hey, how long is your journey going to take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a what? A time. So Nehemiah had thought through the calendar. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they'll provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. So in other words, he's like, I'm going to have to travel. I'm going to need protection. Can you give me letters of introduction so I have safe passage? And then here's the third thing. I love this one. And by the way, king, one other thing. May I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park? This is the forest. So he will give me what? Timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence that I will occupy. So the king's like, Nehemiah, why do you have such a sad face? He's like, "Uh, the walls are broken down. He's like, well, what do you want to do? He goes, I want to go rebuild the walls. He says, what do you need? He goes, your wood. (laughs) Right? 
He's like, I don't have the resources. I need someone a little bit richer than me who actually has uh, access to a forest. Anybody you know, King? Uh, Could I actually have some of the royal timber to go build the walls of God's city? This is a pagan king who doesn't honor God. And the king says yes to this. This is the power. Give Nehemiah this, right? He's a little cupbearer, but he's a man with a plan, right? God moves when your planning meets opportunity. He knew exactly how much what he would need. See, people who change their world, who change history, define the vision clearly. And then they make plans very carefully. I sometimes hear Christians say, Tim, planning doesn't seem very spiritual. That's like one of the dumbest things you could say, you know? I literally, I'll have people come up to me and say, you know, Tim, you know what, you make, uh, you know, when you speak, it's like it's, it's so effortless. You always know what you're going to say next. How do you do that? I practice all week long. I, do you know how long it takes me to prepare a 40-minute message? 25 hours of practice to talk to you for 40 minutes. Why? Because I have a passion for the word of God to change your life. I believe this can change your life. This is my burden. And so I don't get up here to preach and write it in my notes until it's written on my heart. And I, I let that out to you, and I find the more I plan, the more impact that God has. Why? Because God is a God of organization and not chaos. He, ordered, he honors careful planning when it's a godly vision. So let me give you an example. Somebody wrote on their card, they said, human trafficking. They want to end, you know, sexual slavery in their lifetime. Here's the problem with that. That burden, it's, it's a good burden. It's so big, though, it's paralyzing. If you write down on your to-do list, like, okay, Monday morning, get coffee at Starbucks, end slavery. <laughs> what are you going to do? Nothing, right? It's not specific enough, okay? Here's a question you can ask yourself that will change your life. This is how I think every day. This will change your life. What's my next step? Can you say that? What's my next step? This is liberating. You can do this. Ask, what is the next smallest step that I can take? So if you wrote, you know, uh, human trafficking, your next step may be like, I just want to find out if there's anyone in my area who's already doing something about it. And then you find out that like, oh, international justice mission. And you call the rep who's local and say, hey, can I take you out for lunch? And you prepare a few questions, you know, how do they get involved in that? What was that transition like? And you start interviewing them. And then your next step may be like, process it with a friend or a mentor. What's the next small step you can take? Because nobody changes the world all at once. You change the world one step at a time. You just identify the next step and you do it. This is what Nehemiah shows us. And this week, I'm going to ask you ask yourself this question. What is your next step tomorrow, Monday morning, that you could take? That woman who got rid of $69,000 in debt over the last three years, she's like, I've got this goal of being debt-free, our whole family, by 2020. And I knew I was going to talk about this week. I said, well, you know, what's, what's your plan? Like, how are you doing that? And she showed me her Instagram account. It's under uh, our debt-free story, public. And she said, uh, so we signed up to take Financial Peace University, and we're doing baby steps with Dave Ramsey. We put $1,000 cash in our emergency fund, and now we are using the debt snowball to pay off our bills. That's baby step number two. And then she goes, watch this. And she showed me her picture. Look at the caption. Uh, Flashback Friday. To the time we mailed in our last car payment exactly one year ago. 
My smile says it all, and I hope everyone on this journey continues to smile and work. And then she writes this. We now use our car as an Uber to bring in extra income to our household. That's a woman with a plan right there, amen? She's going to get there. Give me a hand. That whole family, they're going to actually achieve this. They're going to dig out. They got a lot left to go. But in three years, they retired $69,000 of debt. How? Baby step, baby step, baby step on the journey to being a debt-free family. Question for you. What's your next step that you could take this spring? One person wrote, um, pray for my marriage that I may be humble enough to ask for help. I thought that is a godly prayer. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Did you notice Nehemiah was not afraid? (laughs) He's like, king, uh, I'm just a peon cupbearer, but I know you got a forest. I need some help. He realized, I'm not going to rebuild these walls even though it's a godly goal. I need a pagan king to help me. So let's say your next step is you're like, you wrote your relationship, you know, it's a fixer-upper. Your next step may be just to ask our church for help. If you're engaged and you're like, you know, we want to go into marriage eyes wide open, ask for help. Sign up for marriage mentoring. We will pair you with an older, godly couple who have some miles on the odometer who will walk with you and have, have a successful marriage in the early stage. If you're in the middle, you've hit a rough patch. We just graduated our first class of lay counselors. They are now trained to counsel with you one-on-one. Ask your campus leaders for help. And if you're like, man, my marriage is a major renovation, we have a list of Christian counselors who have been vetted at every campus. Have the humility to ask for help. That's what we're here for. What is your next step today? Nehemiah makes one, two, three bold requests. Give me time off. Give me safe passage and give me wood to build the wall. And so as I was thinking about that, I was like, all right, aim it at me. What help do I need, you know? So I want to make two big requests of you today, all right? I want to actually tell you, I don't do this a lot, but I'm like, I do actually need your help. We need your help to complete construction in Parsippany this summer. Just listen to me. We can't do this alone. This is a super practical request. We need some of you to come out on a Saturday and help paint the wood walls. We literally need you to do this. We're having a work day in Parsippany on Saturday, June 10th from 9 a.m. to 12 noon, and we need your help to come paint. Um, You probably have noticed from the photos of our new church, we are using a lot of shiplap uh, all over the place, okay? And this is kind of fun. If you look at it, you'll notice there's four different colors of wood. We want that kind of look of reclaimed wood, but listen, we're on such a tight budget, we can't afford used wood, I'm serious. So watch, we buy number two pine and we stain it. And what we did is I put on Facebook, I blame you guys. Uh, I put all the colors on Facebook. Some of you voted, right? I was like, which color do you want us to use? And you all voted for like, I want that one, that one, that one, that one. So we just said, let's use them all. Uh, And it turned out beautifully. But we have hundreds of planks of wood that need to be stained for the auditorium and atrium. So I'm kind of putting out the bat signal to every campus. If you can come paint wood, with me on Saturday morning, June 10th, that would be a huge help to get our church home built. No expertise necessary, okay? It literally, staining wood's like, (laughs) that's it. There's like nothing. (laughs) You can do this. You got an old shirt like mine? Just come with that, all right? No signups. If you come by like for an hour or two in the morning, just mark on your calendar. We put the GPS address in your program notes today. That's my first request, wood, like Artaxerxes. Second one is this. As I told you, we're actually on schedule to complete construction ahead of time, right? Actually, earlier than our Saturate Vision campaign is scheduled to complete. Saturate's our vision campaign that's helping fund the construction. And Saturate 
is over in October, um, and we're going to be completing construction this summer, and we've made this excellent progress. And I just want to thank you. Thank you, every single family, every person who gave generously, you sacrificed. I want to give you an update of where we are. Um, right now, Satcher 8, we're trying to raise $8 million. The total pledges and gifts that we've received are $8.6 million. That's incredible. Praise God, right? Praise God. That's what people have given and pledged to give, right? Promised to give. Now, understand, we're not using all of that, right, to build the campus. In fact, the majority of it so far has been used outside the church walls, right? We've used it to uh, open two new campuses, Somerset and Garwood, right? We opened those two new campuses. Uh, through your generosity, we funded one million meals to feed homeless and hungry people around New Jersey. And then we brought clean water to Rwanda. We bought a drill rig that is drilling. We're going to drill our 75th clean water well in Rwanda this summer. That's awesome. That's what we have used a large portion of the money for. It's already had a major impact outside the church walls. Notice our approach as a church. We always pay our commitments to compassion, people who are poor, who are in need first. We build the kingdom before we build our house. You understand? God honors that. I believe that. Now, of that $8.6 million that has been pledged and given, so far we have received $6.4 million which is about 70% of the total. So we're on mark to complete this. But if you do the math, it's pretty simple math. How much do we still need? 8.6 minus 6.4, how many? 2.2 million. And I know 2.2 million sounds like a lot, but it's really not. In fact, let me show you. 2.2 million, you know how much it is? It's this much, (laughs) right? That's all it is. It's just this, right? (laughs) We're, We're almost there, right? We're literally almost at the finish line. And I joke about that, but it's true, guys. It's like God's fingerprints are already on this. And I know he's going to complete it, but I want everyone to be involved, our whole church family. So here's what I'm asking you. Just be honest. Right now, your generosity has never been more critical. Like, just hear my heart on this, right? It's spring. We're moving into summer. Everyone goes on vacation. Right now, your faithful financial generosity will make the difference and get the ball into the end zone. Because we literally are like on, you know, 10-yard line. So if you're in a position to complete your pledge this spring, please do. It will help us get across the finish line. Last month, I had a family come up to me. It was kind of cool. It was just kind of random in the lobby. And they said, hey, Tim, just so you know, I got the message. Um, We pledged $20,000 back, you know, two years ago in October when we started Saturate. We gave 10 then, and we thought, we'll give the other 10 at the end. But I understand the urgency. And so we kind of reshuffled our budget, you know, for the summer, and we're actually just wrote a check for the 10000 now because we want to forward that so we can get the ball in the end zone. Guys, can I just say, huge impact. That is such a gift, guys. We are literally finishing construction, and it helps with our cash flow. So if you made a pledge, you made a promise to give, I just ask you to com- consider completing that now. If you can, if possible, it will help us complete construction in Parsippany, all right? Secondly, if you're new... Maybe you came to our church and you're like, what's saturate? (laughs) Uh, You may have come in the last 12 months and maybe you have found a home here. I just want to invite you to get involved. Like, this is an exciting moment, is it not? Right? Get on board with what God's doing and consider giving a special gift this spring to help complete construction. Notice on the offering envelope, you'll always see it says regular offering. And then there's a box that says saturate, okay? That's that's the vision campaign you can find on the website. And if you've come like over the last, you know, one or two years and Liquid's now home, home to you, awesome. Praise God for his timing. I actually believe that God may have brought you for such a time as this. God may have brought your family because we're opening this new campus and there's ministries we can't even think of yet. 
But God may use you to get us across that finish line so we move in together. We're going to have a special needs gym. It's going to ripple out into the community, guys. We're going to have live HD broadcasts, and now all our campuses will be on the same page on Sunday. So we'd love for you to join our family and help get across the finish line together. Let me read to you an encouraging email I got last week. This is just so cool. It's about a dad. It's from a dad who's new to Liquid. He said, uh, Tim, although I've only been attending Liquid for the last 10 months, I really look forward to each Sunday with my son. The weekly message, the volunteer opportunities, and the small groups really have made an incredibly positive impact on my life. We've been looking for a church that would help me develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and one that would help me keep God as the first priority in my life. I have found that in Liquid. I want to thank your team for all that you do. In addition to the weekly offering that I give online, I want to make a gift of $10,000 to help complete the broadcast campus. It'd be coming 10 months. Please let me know how to make the donation as it started prior to me attending Liquid on a weekly basis. Can I tell you how much that encourages me? Not because I love buildings. I love building people up. I love seeing their faith come alive. This is a, a single dad and his son who are coming here, and now they found a relationship with Christ. They have a heart to help. They're like, the church, you guys treat me like family, and now I want to be part of the family DIY project. Guys, we're not building a parking lot. We are building the house of God, and we need every family in our church sacrificing and invested in this vision. Amen? So if you're new to our church, jump on board, okay? Just make a gift. I, where there's vision, God always gives provision. Amen? So I'm asking you, last week I asked you, would you pray with me for 52 days? That's number one most important thing. Secondly, I'm asking you, would you serve on a Saturday? Help me stain some boards. And third, I'm asking you to give generously. And by God's grace, we will complete this vision together and see Jesus Christ get the glory. Amen? Nehemiah, he makes these three big requests. Look what God does. Last verse, verse 8 and 9. And because... The gracious hand of my God was what? On me. The king granted my request. He said yes. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates. I gave them the king's letters. And watch this. The king also sent army officers and cavalry with me. In other words, Nehemiah didn't just get money. He didn't just get materials. He got a military escort. (laughs) This is the king of Persia. This is modern-day Iran against the people of God. He devoted financial, political, and military support to rebuild Jerusalem's wall. Do you know what that's called? Favor. The favor of God. There's no other way to explain this. That's the gracious hand of God on a leader. Guys, when we started this church 10 years ago, I was just a dumb kid with a burden to to start a church that reached the next generation. And you know what? We didn't have a building. We didn't have money. I wasn't the brightest. I wasn't the best. But have this. I cared the most. I still do. I know what God is calling us to do. So I took the next step and the step after that, step after that. And here we all are together. Ten years later on the 10-yard line about to move into this broadcast campus that will leave a legacy well after we're gone for generations to come. So let me ask you, what's God calling you to do? Because what he can do through a little cupbearer, he can do through you as well. What's it going to take? What are you going to commit to today? Bring your burden to God. What step are you going to take Monday morning? If you have the courage to act on the vision, God has the power to complete it. Amen? Father God, I thank you for all the burdens that we're holding. These are sacred, God. We're literally putting them before your throne, God. We know that the house of God is made of the people of God. These are our hearts, God. And so, Holy Spirit, I am asking you to place and ignite a fire And every man and woman and family is part of this church. 
Father God, praise God for our sister who's leading her family out of debt. God, I pray for the resurrection power of Christ on marriages that need a reboot. Father God, I'm praying for people who are restarting their careers. Father, would you open doors that only the gracious hand of God can open? And Lord, we come before you as one family united. Would you complete your good work in Parsippany? Father God, give fuel to the vision. Give favor with the town officials. Father God, complete the funds that we need. You know what we need, Lord. You've never left us wanting. You're always right on time. So complete the good work. And God, we just ask humbly, would you give all the credit and glory to your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Amen.